You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to be together this morning and to worship and to finish up our last lesson for the series, Foundation for a New Community, uh, based out of Luke, where Luke uh, outlines just Jesus' ministry and how he came to set a foundation for his church. But before we start, I want to really just uh, thank Michael Bruce and Turnwall as well for all their work. You know, we're, we're here in the studio and they set it up and it just takes a lot of work. And I just want to commend them uh, before everyone today. You know, it's been a pretty intense uh, few weeks and uh, I got some advice for this lesson from quite a few people and um not uh, the least of them is my daughter, Gabby, who's eight years old. And uh, I turned to her and said, Gabby, listen, uh, Dad's going to do this lesson. Uh, what do you think? Uh, she's eight years old. She turned around. She said, Dad, uh, it's been pretty intense these past few weeks. Why don't you try something uh, more encouraging and more uplifting uh, for this one? And I thought that was really good advice. But um, this topic here is a pretty intense topic as we've been tackling tackling these uh, different uh, topics that are highly charged, highly emotional, and uh, frankly, I'm a little nervous about this one too, because I got uh, three daughters at home, married to my beautiful wife, and I better get this one right, or I won't be able to go home uh, to these these women of mine. So today we're going to be tackling uh, sexism uh, around the world, but really in our church as well. This was written by Paul, that so in Christ... Jesus, uh, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, racism, neither slave nor free, classism, nor is there male and female sexism. For you are all one in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. What was Paul talking about? He says that, listen, we are all different people. All different nationalities come from all different backgrounds, different genders. But uh, the one thing that we have in common that is our preeminent identity is that we are in Christ. And that is really the thing that's going to unify us together. Because if it's not for Christ, then we have so many reasons for uh, disunity as we, as we see. So Paul said that is imperative when he was writing to the church in Galatia, which was going through a monumental time uh, itself. It was incorporating the Jewish disciples with the Gentile disciples. And like I said in the past two two weeks, it wasn't easy. It wasn't like it was so natural and everyone lovey-dovey and got together. They had to fight for this unity. And this is what Paul wrote. Paul wrote that the, the end game, the end goal of his preaching, of his ministry, is that we are all one in Christ. And we know that, you know, when the Bible talks about that, it doesn't dis- discredit you, the uniqueness of each one of us. And uh, we see that all the time throughout scriptures, all nations. It talks about all people, all languages coming together in the end times also. So we know that God is not talking about just mashing everything together. In our uniqueness, in our differences, we come together to share one identity in Christ. And that's what's going to unify us together. So today's lesson is going to be 
overcoming sexism, the struggle for wholeness. What does that mean, the struggle for wholeness? Sometimes when we look at the difference between the two sexes, we think that, yeah, they are different, but in God, the Bible says this about the two sexes. At the beginning in Genesis 1, 27, it says, so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what is the total image of who God is? Is represented not by one sex only, but it is represented by two. The male and the female coming together to formulate what a true image of God is like. So God honors the sexes in his creation. And I love this passage because it, it shows that in this creation of God that we are all equal. There is no superiority between the sexes. What is sexism? Well, we've been talking about injustice in the last few weeks and certainly the events in our society has, has really pointed out uh, how ugly that can be. And uh, today we're going to be talking about what sexism is. Sexism is a prejudice or a discrimination based on sex or gender. How we judge each other because of our differences in our gender. And I really appreciate uh, this past uh, Wednesday night when we talked about, as we're going through the training for the Kingdom Inclusion Team, and we talked about, hey, um, there is a thing called, you know, biases that maybe they're not as ugly as what we saw um, that unified us together when we saw the killing of George Floyd and when we saw so many of these 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 incredibly grotesque incidents in, in our society that we can say, yeah, that's really bad. That's easy to see. We can all unite around that and say, that's wrong. But now we're entering into something that's a little bit more difficult to discern or something that's a little bit more harder to see. And that's what's really going on on the inside, the subtle prejudice, the subtle discrimination that goes on. And part of the training on Wednesday night that I found so profound was that this type of prejudice, this type of discrimination can actually do a lot more harm in the long run. You know, as a society, as a culture, I, you know, as someone who uh, didn't grow up in America, but have had a chance to even travel around the world, in some ways, I feel like America is a little bit behind, uh, even in our politics, right? Uh, we have yet to elect our first uh, woman president. Uh, you look at the pictures here, you see some great leaders from around the world, people that have done amazing things like Angela Merkel in Germany, uh, Benazir Bhutto uh, from Pakistan. You see uh, so many different races, different people. And you, you see a, a millennial even, the uh, leader of Finland. Um, I think she's only like 34 years old. Pretty amazing. I think she's either the youngest or the second youngest head of state in all of the world. So in that way, we're a little bit behind, I think, right? So we're, we're struggling. We're fighting to, to really understand uh, how women can break through the, the barrier of power. And that's what it is. Power. You know, uh, I, I didn't have this, but a sister, um, texted this to me and I, I thought it was interesting that, uh, in our bite, our fight against COVID that, uh, these women leaders have, uh, tend to do a better job. And, uh, maybe there are reasons to that. I don't really know all the ins and outs, but, uh, they tend to do a better job. Uh, in my own household, we took a, uh, a, a poll, um, in the child household and, you know, uh, 
in an independent study involving the Chow family conducted periodically until results are changed in the favor of the conductor, me, each Chow daughter was asked, who is smarter, mom or dad? And the point of me saying this is that because of sexism, we waste a lot of great talents. A lot of talents are not utilized because we have prejudice against them or we see them in a different light. And this is just a little joke here. But, um, you know, I asked the girls and invariably they'll always say, well, dad, mom is pretty smart. And my wife is pretty smart. And when I ask Gabby, she just runs away because she doesn't want to answer and hurt my feelings. But my wife is amazing. I mean, she, uh, you know, almost went to an Ivy League school, but uh, in order to stay closer to her mom and dad, she settled for UC Berkeley. And uh, that's what she called settling, I guess. But, uh, you know, that's the point. The point is that we are beginning to see society changing, where in the past maybe we're relying a lot more on the physicality of a man to, to lead. Now, with the world changing, you know, people, it's more mental reliance and and i'm grateful for that in a sense that we're going to see a lot more women uh being able to rise up you know um if you look in uh, again another stat that is pretty um pretty glaring is that of the 500 fortune companies in 2019 only 33 of them uh ceos of of these companies are women and when we look at that, uh, we got to think, right? We got to go, okay, what, what's the reason? Uh, we already said that it's not because they're not smart enough. Um, it's not because of whatever. It takes away the reason. And we have to think about the barriers that women have to fight through in order to, uh, to lead, in order to, to make a difference, to utilize their skills and their strengths. You know, for me, this topic is, is very um, important, obviously, because I have three daughters, right? And I want to see them succeed. I want to see barriers being uh, pushed down and uh, broken down uh, for them to be all that they can be. And I really think that that's the biblical narrative as well. I think that despite uh, really all the obstacles, I think God wants to see uh, both men and women succeed equally. The study that was conducted by the University of California talks about the researcher compared workers who earned the same wages, including at the same employers, but had different degrees of predictability in their schedules. Those with irregular hours fared worse, and so did their children. And because of that, uh, the study really showed just how detrimental uh, this is. It says that black and Hispanic women had the worst schedules. And white men had the best, the researchers found. The, the children of workers with precarious schedules had worse behavior and more inconsistent childcare than those whose parents had stable schedules. So we see that injustice, you know, comes in different forms, right? If I walk down the street and somebody calls me a name or, or whatever, yeah, it might hurt my feelings a little bit, but really it doesn't go beyond that, right? I get a little bit mad. But injustices that come in forms of, of biases that shapes the way that people live every day can be very, very harmful. And the Bible speaks to that. Blessed are you, O Lord, God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a woman. 
women have suffered prejudice against them and biases against them for thousands and thousands of years. And uh, this is a proverb or a saying in the Jewish Talmud. And it's basically saying, I'm, I'm glad I'm not a woman. And I'll be honest with you. Uh, seeing what they've gone through over the years, I tend to feel the same way. It's easier in many ways to be a man. Um, and not just the physicalness. And, and I like being a man. I go take a shower. And my wife always laughs at me and how quickly I can take a shower. I mean, literally, I can jump in, jump out within three minutes and I'm good to go. But it's deeper than that. It's talking about how there is an implicit bias towards women. And the, the things that they people see about them tend to judge them and they don't get the right jobs at times. And it costs them um, the high-paying jobs, perhaps, or the position that uh, they are qualified for. And uh, that's what we want to talk about today. Good morning. My name is Deanna Kendall, and I'd like to share a little bit about workplace sexism. I um, wanted to start off with kind of a little bit of about me. Um, I was born in Northern California to a very strong, independent woman, um, and uh, my father was a professional soccer player. Um, when I was two, my parents separated, and by the time I was six, I think it was the last time I seen my father. Um, as a little girl who doesn't understand separation, divorce, um, you know, abandonment, I came to the conclusion that the reason why my father left was because I wasn't a boy. Um, so somehow during that time, I created in my mind that I was going to be a strong um, athlete and um, adopt as many man-like skills that were um, maybe going to one day win my father's approval. Um, as a, a young girl, I didn't have a problem getting into fights. Um, I... I'm not afraid of confrontation. Um, as an athlete, I learned to control my temper, but, um, you know, aggressiveness was actually requested in a lot of the sports I played. Um, I was a scholar athlete in high school and uh, went off to college and played water polo, um, which is a predominantly male-run um, sport. And um, I even played on the men's high school team because we didn't have a women's team at the time. Um, a lot of the skills that I learned in sports um, brought me a lot of success, you know, and um, I was okay with that. Um, I was okay with that, you know, being aggressive, getting in my way, moving forward um, was an okay way of being. And it is in a lot of ways. But um, it really kind of backfired um, this last year when I was up for a promotion. I uh, was the only one in my department that qualified for this position. And um, they still bypassed me. So I went to my manager and I asked him why. And basically what came back was, um, I'm a pit bull. I um, don't stop until things get accomplished. I um, want resolve, that I'm direct, that I um, speak up for others and defend them in meetings. And um, these were all considered bad qualities, according to my manager, which I found really ironic because I really believe that had the those same qualities been found in a man that was up for this position, that they would have gotten hired. So, you know, I um, I asked for an investigation, um, and the what came about of this was kind of ironic. Um, our city asks all of us to take personality assessments um, for anyone in the management positions, 
And um, I found out later that my manager and I had the exact same um, assessment results, and so did my department head, and so did our city manager. Um, two of those three are men. And I just really found it ironic that the very skills that got these men to very high positions within um, my workforce were the same position, same qualities that I was being told that um, were not okay for me as a woman. Um, you know, a year later, um, neither one of those men, and actually all three of those people, no longer work for our city. Um, and it really comes down to um, me believing that at the end of the day, um, the only person's approval that I really need is God's. Um, I became a Christian back in 1991, and um, I found a lot of freedom in the fact that I have a God who created me the way I am, that loves me the way I am, and that gave me my qualities, um, and that it's okay to be a strong woman in today's society. Um, and I encourage you to be the person that God made you to be as well. So what's the issue here? The issue is about power. The issue is for women to overcome some of the structural power um, dynamic that is built within our society. Talking about power, the true tale is an old African proverb. The true tale of the lion hunt will never be told as long as the hunter tells the story. What is this proverb talking about? It's The proverb is talking about how one-sided things can be. And it's saying that, you know, uh, people with power usually are the ones who get to tell the story. And yet, what the Bible teaches me and what I appreciate about God's word is that God tells the story. And he includes women. And he highlights women. And he, he shares about them, as we had talked about earlier, Despite the significant challenges faced by women throughout history, the biblical narrative continuously highlights their stories, their struggles, and their triumphs, and their their uniqueness as well. Point number one. What does the Bible tell us about the struggles that women have to go through? Number one. They had to work around some pretty dumb men. We're talking about sexism, right? You know, I was thinking today, and there's a little bit of a a diversion here. I know the word for hating women, misogyny. I can't think of the word that means to hate men. And that's just because it's not usually dealt with, right? Because the issue really is hating women. That's why we know the vocabulary so well. But women have to work through this. And I want to encourage the women. I mean, I'm. this is going to be a short lesson. So I don't want to get in trouble. Um, and I'm, I'm not a woman, so I really don't understand. But this is what I see in the Bible. That women have to work around the power structure of, of, of society. And this is how they did it. And this is a great story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible about David, Nabal, and Abigail. Nabal was a guy who was fairly wealthy. He had a lot of power. He owned this, this I guess, this ranch or this home and and David was protecting Nabal's property without him knowing. And this is, I guess this is common practice at that time. So when David needed something, Nabal rejected uh, David. Nabal answered David's servant, Who is this David and who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. 
Why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to the men coming uh, from uh, who knows where? And he, he's like, who cares about David? He, he doesn't even know. He, he knows a little bit about the son of Jesse and the lineage of David. And, but he really, really doesn't know. And because of this, David was going to go and destroy Nabal and his clan. And here's a story, amazing story about Abigail and how she comes to the rescue. Night and day, they were a wall around us and the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. You know, Abigail was living in this household where Nabal was in charge, but he doesn't even know that disaster is looming over him. When Abigail saw what was going on, she runs to David, and here's what she said to David that is so profound in contrast to Nabal's understanding. And I love this passage because it shows the depth of our understanding of the what was going on around her. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty from my Lord. Because you fight the Lord's battle and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. She continues. When the Lord has fulfilled my Lord, my, my Lord, every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on this conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. This is amazing what's going on here. Abigail was able to understand from what God was doing in David's life, from the history that she was learning about about David himself, the lineage of David, and God's plan for David's future. And he and she basically saved David from catastrophe. David would not be David without the wisdom and the leadership of Abigail. I want to encourage us with this passage here because sometimes we see the Bible, and I'm being honest here, sometimes we see the Bible as being very prohibitive of women. I don't see that in scriptures. There are roles that I think God wants us to have. If anything, I think God wants men to lead for their own sake and for their family's sake. But we see here that God highlights the role that Abigail played in David's life. Point number two, and it's a short point. You know, God highlights what the world sees as weakness. God honors. You know, the world sees women today as weak. And certainly they are, for the most part, weaker physically. But as we're beginning to see more and more as society is transforming away from the physicality world into more of a mental world, that uh, women are incredibly gifted by God. Not only intellectually, but emotionally as well. We're going to jump into a story in the book of Luke. And the Bible talks about a woman who had lived a sinful life 
And she knew that Jesus was coming to town and she invested her entire savings for this very moment. It says a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life, we're going to pick up from here, had learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. This is how people save their savings or invest in uh, invest at that time. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. This incredible emotional scene. And I got to confess, it's uncomfortable thinking about this particular situation. And if we were there, I mean, we would probably be a little bit uncomfortable as well. Not Jesus. He was taking it in, fully appreciating this woman's expression of her love and appreciation for him. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Two people owe money to a certain money letter. He spoke to him in a language that perhaps he understood at the level that he understood. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus says. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, many her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. What did Jesus do? He lifted up her ability to connect. What was going on intellectually? The The... She had the wherewithal to figure out that this was Jesus. This is the Messiah. Just like Abigail did with David. And who he was. And she connected the two. And she was able to express not only her intellectual understanding, but her emotional understanding as well. God says, whatever she does, this woman, whatever she has done, will be proclaimed wherever the gospel is preached. You know, what the world considers as weakness, God honors. And um, I want to just share these two points here today. That as we talk about sexism, let's really be like God and not like the world. And, you know, how does this uh, work into our church? But my third point is simply more. We need more stories. We need more testimonies from sisters. We need more women to teach. I thought Wednesday night was great. We need more. And uh, I know that in our church, the leadership had come up with a a paper about the church and gender. And we're going to go through that together. But I'll tell you right off the bat, that's just my understanding when I read scriptures, when I read the book of Romans, and when I read read through Paul's 
all of his partnerships in the gospel and all the women that he listed off and all the women that did incredible things, we need more. And as we end out our series on injustice today, let's really think about that. Let's think about how we can be a catalyst of helping our ministry to become more whole as God intended for it to be. My view of gender roles is shaped by my family of origin. When I grew up, after graduating from high school, my father announced that he was divorcing my mother. He said the reason was my mother was the one who wanted to wear the pants in the family. I saw that my dad had old-fashioned patriarchal views, and I rebelled against that, but I was conflicted inside. My mother was a passionate Um, strong-willed woman, when she felt something, she was unstoppable, and my father did not know how to handle her. Um, As a young girl, like all young girls do, I wanted to please my father, and so I learned how to hide my strength because I believed from looking at my parents that men did not like strong women. Later on, when I went to college, I was invited to church and invited to study the Bible. I had no religious background, so we started with learning about Jesus. I studied through the book of John, and I learned how amazing Jesus was. Even if we look at one aspect of Jesus, like today we're talking about sexism, if we look at how Jesus treats women um, when we read through the Gospels, um, it is truly revolutionary the way Jesus was. Um, In Luke chapter 10, it's the story of Mary and Martha, where Martha is busy in the kitchen and being the hostess and doing all sorts of things. And Jesus tells Martha that Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. He was saying that the traditional role of the woman uh, taking care of the home, that's not the only value that a woman has. Um, That being Jesus' disciple, sitting at his feet, that's a place that Jesus is giving to women. And in the next chapter, in Luke chapter 11, um, a woman calls out and says, Blessed is the mother who gave birth to you and who nursed you. And Jesus replies, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Again, he's saying the traditional role and value of a woman of being a mother and giving birth that's not the only value that a woman has um she can be his disciple he can she can hear the word and obey it and be his disciple just just like the men um i was really drawn to jesus and i was inspired by the disciples around me and i chose to become a christian um i love the purpose that I had, the passion that I had inside, that had been keeping inside, I was able to funnel into um, my purpose, and I knew that God was pleased with me. Later on, um, I got married to Ken, and I learned how to have a godly marriage. Um, He um, did not want me to be less uh, so that he could feel better about himself. Rather, he challenged me to be more. And we have a relationship where two are better than one. When one of us falls down, then the other one can help the other one. And as well as that, um, I learned um, what submission was. I mean, the only way I was going to learn it is through the example of Jesus. 
how he was able to surrender his emotions in the Garden of Gethsemane to do God's will. Um, Ken and I were partners in the gospel, and we were privileged, privileged to be able to go all around the world and see the impact that God's word has and how revolutionary that it truly is. And we're back here on the west side, and we're doing that here. I truly believe that it's in following God's word and following Jesus and making other disciples that women can make their greatest impact and inspire others and make a difference in this world. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.